going on? It's the Film Drunk Frogcast. Coming at you not live from the Frog Quarters in San Francisco. This is actually our second intro because I forgot to press the record button on the first one. First time I've ever done that in 306 episodes. I'm actually surprised I got this far with never having done that before. Um, anyway, we got a real Joe heavy show for you this week. We got Joe Sinclitico from Adam Devine's house party yeah. on Skype. How you doing, Joe? Hey guys, what's up, dude? Hey, H- how are you guys? We're, we're good. We got Joey Avery also here. What is happening? You guys missed some great banter on yeah, the first man. fifteen minute attempt. Right. I feel like I feel a little pressure to recreate the banter. Hey, I mean, we'll just let it happen naturally. But if we save some of those sweet zinging lines, yeah. you know, I think that um, the Apple infrastructure going from like <laughs> say, Apple to Samsung is like going from a uh, fascist. Uh, dictatorship to democracy. Yeah, that's a and great. It's kind of like Hillary Clinton uh-huh. because um, <laughs> okay, it's just like <laughs> no. Go ahead. These are these are all it, original takes. Just, because it's um, it's like kind of like hey, how much shit are you gonna do? Like, see how much shit we're gonna fucking take from you, pieces of shit, uh-huh. Apple people. Uh huh. So uh, we're going to talk the nice guys on today's show. We were also just talking Apple, and I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad that we got like all of our Apple gripes out of the way without the listeners having to hear all of them. Do you think that they'd like to hear them? Maybe it's important to them. <laughs> I really, I'm not sure. I'm going to say no. I feel like I like that Joe where, is standing near a tractor. Where are you? What is <laughs> happening right now? Me? Yeah. 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 I, I'm crossing La Brea. And third. <laughs> it sounded like you wandered into like the the sound effect factory where there's like a jackhammer <laughs> yeah. on one hand. I was worried you were about to get ground up by a concubine. <laughs> yeah, I'm crossing La Brea and um, and third because I'm getting some cupcakes from my girlfriend trying to get the pussy tonight. <laughs> Is there a fight about to break out now? <laughs> no, there those there were some people doing CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're grunting. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of local color. We'll say that much. Uh, so yeah, the Apple event. We were just saying that I feel like Apple is is seeing how far they can they can push us. Like they know we're so used to like the longer you use Apple stuff, the harder it is to switch to anything else because you just get used to like dumbed down simplicity. Like you can't even find you can't find your photo files anymore. Everything's they take everything out of your hands so you don't have to make any th- any decisions. It's like being in a d- dictatorship. Yeah, I think they also have the best device. And like you said, the they have are, historically. Right. But I, I still think it's true. And I think everyone walking around there thinks they're a pseudo revolutionary. And they're like, what can we get rid of next? Mm-hmm. Eventually, it's going to be a fucking look screen. You're yeah. not going to be able to touch it. Yeah. You because, don't need that. Yeah, you don't. You don't need that. You just want to look at it and just it's, feel it. It's like living in North Korea, except him, Kim Jong un is sort of like this. Uh, real uh, beatific hippie kind of person. Like, oh, did you really... Pretty competent, Did you really need that pillow? (laughs) Like, I know you liked your pillow, but you don't don't really need it, do you? So it's like you grow up in North Korea, you don't have to make any decisions, and then then they just see how far they can push you because they know if you have to switch to something else, it's going to be so confusing and overwhelming and you have to try and figure out where files go. And, and how to use your actual device. No one wants to do that. 
Yeah, I wonder what it's like at Apple now. Like now that Steve Jobs isn't there, if there are people at the top, like yeah, it's fucking bullshit. It's not what it used to be. We're going down know. the toilet. I have no idea. Or I, if they're like, it's me. I want to believe that all the Steve Jobs shit is totally just like a creation myth because it seems like bullshit, and everybody else that like pre- is a pretend Steve Jobs is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. like the girl with Theranos. <laughs> yeah, Theranos. Theranos. Is it Theranos? Theranos. Fuck cares. Yeah, that was a good story. I'll give you guys the uh, the Cliff Notes version of that from uh, from Newser. Uh, the rise and fall of Theranos, the company that promised to change the world with its ability to test for all kinds of diseases from just a pinprick of blood, gets a thorough retelling in Vanity Fair. In the piece, Nick Bilton writes that founder Elizabeth Holmes created an intense culture of privacy at her company, one that prevented scientists and engineers from talking to each other about their work, and that immediately quashed any internal speculation that Theranos' science might be a little iffy. In fact, Bilton reports that Holmes' own seeming inability to explain the science hurt her in a big way. He recounts how John Carreyrou, the Wall Street Journal reporter whose investigative piece doomed the company, first became suspicious when he read a quote from Holmes in which he gave an inept scientific explanation of what her company did. And that quote was, A chemistry is performed so that a chemical reaction occurs and generates a signal from the chemical interaction with the sample, which is translated into a result, which is then reviewed by a certified laboratory personnel. Fuck yeah, that quote. (laughs) That makes me believe I can do anything. That's like how I describe technology. Oh, well. Well, but that's kind of it's kind of perfect. The Steve Jobs myth is like you don't actually have to know how the shit works. You just have to have like some sort of idea for a thing and be like, all right, get to it, nerds. Right. She had all the Steve Jobs principles down. She just didn't have the team that could create the impossible thing. Yeah. And more importantly, she had a dad who was like uh, an Enron, which is kind of perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's it's lovely. But most importantly to me, she adopted the corporate uniform. Where she would wear a fucking black turtleneck mm. every day with a vest, which is how you know someone is going off the deep end. Yeah. One dude pulled that off. No more fucking uniforms. <laughs> she also did the fruititarian thing where she only would drink green juice. Yeah, uh, she sounds so fun. She sounds super fun. Um, <laughs> Joe's not going to be able to hear this, but I do have the interview that she did with Jim Cramer, which was like after the first Wall Street Journal uh report came out that was basically that okay this shit doesn't actually work um she jim kramer had her because the company was still valued at like nine billion dollars at this point and she's like flying around the world to to get like honorary degrees and she's valued at 4.5 billion (laughs) she's like 29 with Mm -hmm. bleach blonde hair everybody loves her because she's like a female ceo she's like uh she's got this great story even though like, she kind of made it up a little yeah, bit, but well, she did a good job of curating it. Wasn't the first round of investments all like a personal favor to her to her father from like a? The, I feel like the first the initial investors were all people that like knew her dad and were basically doing yes doing that, him a solid. I, mean, I think we read the same article. Yeah. I don't remember that exactly. I wish I would have cut out that quote. But there's anyway, a, there's a good point in that which is just about all the bullshit investing that's going on all around us which mm-hmm. is driving housing prices up and it's not i mean i think it's different from the dot com bubble i assume i don't really know shit about this but 
I used to work at a recruiting agency and companies would come in all the time with a horrible idea and like a couple douchebags were like, you want to get drunk after this? And then <laughs> yeah. they'd be like, yeah, we have 10 million funding from all these people. I was like, what? <laughs> there was a point where me and two of my idiot friends were trying to come up with an idea because we we're like, it can't be that hard to right. get a million dollars and it's not. It's not. I think you have to know the right people though, like, right. like everything. I also think that at a certain point, at a certain point, we, like, stopped thinking that uh, nepotism was bad. Like, it used to be, like, people would try to avoid the appearance of nepotism. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, my, my dad did this thing for me. Like, yeah, people would say when, like, a candidate would come in, they'd be like, oh, like, he's good. He's well-connected. He knows X, <laughs> Y, and Z yeah. person. That was, like, a a po- like a, you know, a positive thing. Yeah. Does he have polish? And then these companies are like, we need diversity. And it's like, not if you want him to know Jeff and fucking Larry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's even, yeah, even in, in movies, it's, first of all, like, I'm supposed to care about Will Smith's kids now, like Johnny Depp's daughter, like everybody's fucking daughter and son or like actors right. and, and musicians. And it's all just, it's all just cool now. Like we don't even. Who's Johnny Depp's daughter? Lily Rose Depp. What's she in? Uh, she's in something at TIFF. I want to say it's with Natalie Portman. I can't remember the exact details, but hold on. I just want to put, you're not going to be able to hear this, Joe, but uh, I definitely want to play the clip of, of Elizabeth Holmes uh, on Jim Cramer because her voice, like I couldn't believe this was her real voice the first time I heard it, so. important that we speak to Elizabeth Holmes, the founder and CEO of Theranos, who's coming to us this afternoon from Boston, where she's attending a meeting of the Board of Fellows at Harvard Medical School. Give- Joe, Joe, can you mute again real quick? He's in a biker rally. <laughs> what is there's going a mo- on? There's a moped, guys. <laughs> You're like at Sturgis right now. <laughs> All right. For a chance to answer the charges raised in the article. Ms. Holmes, welcome back to Mad Money. It's great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. I have to tell you, in all my years, I can't recall a private company that I have to candidly many have never heard of. He's folding a newspaper. Getting this. Jim Cramer is so fucking full of shit that it's unbelievable. First of all, he brought her on to like refute an article that, you know, may have thrown some cold water on people investi- investing in her bullshit company. And now he's got this prop as a newspaper, as if he's reading quotes from the newspaper and setting her up to refute them, which is the only reason she's there in the first place. I love this set where it's like, yeah, this is my living room. I got a football. I got a book because I do <laughs> yeah. a ton of reading in this all ceramic <laughs> fucking room. I have my own book. Let's, let's point out. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> kind of attention and scrutiny. What do you think is going on here? This is what happens when you work to change things. And... First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. And um, I, I have to say, I, I, I personally was shocked to see that the journal would publish something like this when we had sent them over a thousand pages of documentation demonstrating that the statements in their piece were false, but, um, but we're doing things differently. And- She's definitely a pod person. All right, Joe, you can unmute. Sorry about that. It's okay, bro. Yeah. Oh, he didn't get to hear the voice. She definitely. Huh? Well, it just kind of sounds like Gary DeMilo, um, and we're just trying to save the. Like she kind of sounds like, like a drag queen. She sounds like kind of like a mean lifeguard who's like coming into her own body. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know how bad I should feel making fun of her. Like, if she was actually doing good for the world, I'd feel super bad making fun of her voice. Yeah, that sounds I kind prob- of Asperger's. I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, and honestly, I watched this whole clip, and like around minute six, I was used to it. Because at <laughs> yeah. first, I was like, "How do these people get used to it?" Around six minutes in, you're like, "No, that's totally normal." This is how I talk <laughs> about our company's doing a lot of really important work in the third world. It's great when you catch someone lying and you're like, now I can shit on every aspect of you and like, no one's really going to care. Yeah. I'm t- yeah, I'm going back and forth on how terrible she is. I guess all the stuff where um, her chief scientist committed suicide and then they kind of, they like tried to sue her widow. Yeah. That makes me feel okay about shitting on her. Yeah. That, that po- portion of the story is pretty horrible. Uh... Dude, I did this, um, this is apropos of nothing that's been discussed before, but I think it's kind of funny. Don't shit on your own lack of segues. That's our favorite thing about you. <laughs> I, I did this fucking audition for this. It was literally like a police. It was like an internal police training video or something. It was like fucking a police officer talking to like a black dude. And the black dude's like, I knew you were going to pull me over, man, because I'm black. And then I'm like. What made you think that? I was at the intersection because of increased accidents at that stop. And then it's like they have this conversation where they like it ends with like one of them going like, hey, if you could just talk like this, have, you know, or think about this conversation and what made me scared. Next time you pull someone else over, it was is the fucking worst. And me and the black guy, I was playing the police officer and the black dude I was doing it with, we literally couldn't even look each other in the eyes. Yeah. Because I think we both like knew we were going to be like humiliated by the whole fucking process. Uh-huh. And just like how fucking, but like the minute we walked out of the audition, I just was like, dude, was that what I think it was? And he just started fucking laughing. What was it? Was it just like a It was conflict? like an internal training video to oh. be like, how, how, um, this is, you know, basically to not terrify black be a fucking police officer and not terrify black people. Yeah. Th- th- like, thank God man, you're doing God's work there. But just- like, it's not only is it seem like n- not the way to do it. I don't know, but it's like, I just, I can't imagine that anybody watches internal training videos and goes hey you know what that was really informative and i learned a lot about what i mean no matter what it is whether it's like sex i'm sure the sexual harassment ones are just as fucking ridiculous where it's like you know not how anybody would actually sexually harass or like yeah well in the clip you couldn't hear uh elizabeth holmes was saying we actually sent them 10,000 pages, or what did you say, 1,000 pages <laughs> yeah. of how our technology... It's like, yes, you sent him 1,000 pages of, like, arcane um, inter... Your, your, your company handbook that none of your employees probably read. And, like, I'm sure some journalist is like, yes, please, let me read 1,000 pages of your own propaganda. That'll really help my story. That's, like, the main reason why those training videos exist. I met a guy whose entire job, he works, like, one or two days a week, and he's on retainer as an actor for a company to explain the company's product on video. So he just (laughs) reads these scripts and explains it on video, and they send that to investors. What do you think that, like, how do you get into that? How can Joe get his his beak wet in this? I fucking asked him, dude. I (laughs) I would kill to do that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. 
He, because but, that's also like it's embarrassing, but it's not the type of embarrassing shit that like will ever get out. You know, right? It's like doing a commercial in China, but better. Yeah. Just like, yeah, and wait. no one gives a shit. Like he's he's not pretending to sexually harass someone and being like, "Hey, sugar tits." And they're like, yeah, "You yeah. can't do that." He's like describing some biochemical reaction that right. no one gives a shit about, and he. He just got it. I think he has an agent. I think he's like tried out for Hawaii Five O and just you know been kind of acting. And that is one of the best shticks to have as an actor if you kind of look like that authoritative silver fox kind of guy. Because like every you know retirement fund, any 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 movie that needs a newscaster, like if you just look like the phony newscaster guy, there's like a thousand uses for you. Yeah, but you know what's crazy is so like there's all these older people like older men and older women that go out for these you know i'll see them on auditions they go out for these commercials where it's you know requires somebody in their 50s or 60s but a lot of times you'll see people that you know used to be on television shows or you know were kind of character actors and it's just like they were handsome or good looking or whatever at some point and now they just have to play the old person it's like they never broke through right do you know what i mean it's just i don't know if there's anything more depressing (laughs) right i think that just happens in life there's a (laughs) lot of people that have kind of an idea a good head of steam you know 25 (laughs) 30 and then you just kind of hit the fucking wall that's why i love being 25 because i'm like most of my happiness comes from all these things that i won't do but in my mind i'm like yeah but you know i can still pull that off i could i I could still be president like you don't know that you know maybe global tides will change and they're cool with someone who's open about his drug use yeah (laughs) i still have that feeling and i don't know how much longer it's gonna last i feel like it's i i got limited time but i still feel like that yeah i i have just no ambition anymore that's the problem (laughs) like it just it's not that i don't think i can do stuff like that i just kind of go like there's so much on tv like why would i want to do that (laughs) what would your now that you have i'm gonna ask you a two-part question what was your dream when you had the most ambition? This and is what like is Ghost your... of Comedian Future. <laughs> yeah, right now. What is your dream now that the ambition's gone? Well, I mean, I think, I think like being a comedian, yeah, you just being like a big enough comedian that you're basically you have an audience that follows you right so that you're not just a fucking club comic who plays weekends in some random beer club right where the audience is just coming for a comedy show you know but they actually know who the fuck you are so you can be more of yourself right i mean that's that was like i think my biggest goal but also that you're getting enough like of that extra like TV work, like maybe you're on a sitcom for three years or four years or whatever. So you have that extra money that you're getting from that and that extra little bump. Although I don't necessarily know that like being on a television, like it used to be you were on a television show for five years. Now you could sell out theaters or clubs or whatever, but I don't know that that's like how it translates. It almost like you have to become famous directly for being funny it, like as a known as a comedian also and not it's just, just like, an actor well does, does that, that make sense yeah and i also think it depends on the show because i mean there's people that have been on shows that have been on shows that are running for like five years 
and totally, and, and you'll be like, I've never heard of that show. Yeah, there, in my life. yeah. There's guys I know that are on like big fucking hit shows. They've been on there for years and years. It's like they're not they're not like headliner comics, or if they are, they're they're you know doing B and C rooms. They're not playing the A room, selling a bunch of tickets where everybody's coming out like, you know, hey, oh, I can't wait for your album or your hour special, or even you know better like playing theaters mm-hmm. i mean those the guys that are playing theaters are like specifically you know like bill burr or right. joe rogan and or even, mark baron they ha- they're like known for comedy right and even that guy who's like known maybe slightly known for some show that we've never heard of even that seems way better than being a club comic where you're just traveling from shitty town Dude. to shitty town to to play for people that don't know who you are and like people don't understand that how like audience dependent comedy is like oh dude just do your act it'll be fun and it's like no if i was playing in a band fuck yeah i can play to an empty room and i'm still gonna enjoy the music that i'm playing but like comedy if it's if the crowd sucks it's not fun yeah and and even let's say like if you're in a band and you go and you play a show and they came for a different band or and you know they like blues and you're playing rock and roll like you know fucking guitar rock or whatever the fuck that you don't actively know that they hate you (laughs) right you know what i mean they're (laughs) still just like kind of a good audience they're just sitting there listening and there's a lot of people and you'll still probably get laid but like if you go up and your type of comedy is not the type of comedy that they want and honestly my type of comedy is not the type of comedy that most people that just go (laughs) hey i'm coming to uh, let's go to the comedy club this weekend. Who's playing? I don't know who's playing, but let's go see. You know, I, I'm I'm the type of person that would have fans that are people that follow comedy and like comedy. You know what I mean? Not just people that randomly think it's a good idea to go to a comedy club. I mean, remember we did that? I, I can't remember the name of that place, but you and I did that weekend with Jacob, and it was like it's Rooster Tees, man. Yeah, it's just like Rooster Tees. Like, hey, I'll be there October twentieth like, yeah. to the twenty-fourth. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the club or even the audience. Like, some of the audiences were great. But it was just the idea of, like, oh, just doing your act for people that have no fucking clue who you are. Right. And then being stuck in some small town for four days. Yeah, and and Sunnyvale's, like, like not a small town even, really. I mean, like, but, like, I think that is true of any art form. Like, once it gets too niche, uh, like, I think that's true of film criticism, too, where it's, like... Like I started trying to write movie reviews because I didn't like the movie reviews that were out there. I was like, I think the way that most people do this is bad and I want to do it differently to make it better. But it's, it's sort of a little bit niche in that. I think a lot of times like I'll be like, why don't I get quoted on this ad or why, you know, why don't I get a pull quote or why don't I get to be the, uh, the MC of, of some Q and a it's because it's partly because people that, don't follow it enough. They just want what their idea of a film review is like what their idea from like 15 years ago is. And like, that's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do. So they'll see my shit and they'll be like, what, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's weird. And it's, it's just a double edged sword. Cause whether it's with that or it's with comedy, like to get to the level you want to be at and to have the type of fan base that knows you and likes you and allows you to be yourself. At some point you have to depart I mean, you. most people have to depart from being that guy who can please everyone. Right, because right, otherwise exactly. you won't have yeah. a fan base. You won't have people totally, that will allow yeah. you to be who you are. Because most people being who they are will not 
please everyone. Right. And then they, and then you get famous and then they shit on you for it. Like they shit on Amy everyone. Schumer for her like old jokes about like, you know, it's like, hey, you know why she did those jokes? Because they fucking worked yeah, in some shitty class. Because of you, god damn it. <laughs> shit well, it's like I did that Adam Devine's house party and people were like, oh, you should do this joke and this joke and this joke. And I was like, I can't. That's not what like brought me to the ball. Like what brought me to the ball was like, I fucking submitted a video of very like sort of my most mainstream type humor that would play to the broadest audience. Right. Not my weird shit, you know, and it's like I couldn't just bait and switch it because I'm still if I if it didn't go well, well, now I just fucking ate a dick in front of like all these Comedy Central (laughs) execs and they just think I suck and they won't want to listen to anything i have to say in the future you know what i mean yeah so yeah it's tough and and especially like in la where you play big clubs and you know there's industry there you're like oh i want to set myself apart but then i also don't want to eat shit right because the audience doesn't and even in a town like la where you think oh like they're hip crowds it's like a lot of times they're not they're just fucking i don't think there are hip crowds from time yeah, I don't think so. You know, I don't think those I exist. Hate, yeah, I think I San Francisco's that... pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. They're they'll they're they're pretty patient, but I think eventually there's also hip, and then there's like too hip to where yeah. they think they're better than you, and you, and you, you can't like... say anything. They're like, we see what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, Edgy is just shitting on what everyone in this town already hates. So, dude, congratulations. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I think eventually the the whole mastery of it is being able to merge the two of them where it's like you've got a few jokes that you like you don't love but they get everybody going and they'll uh, they'll really get people on are you like are he's you always vaping with he's always vaping i love it i'll fucking vape him dog okay. I, did, I, I didn't know and i all i could hear i just imagine turn on your video so we can see you i got you on the big screen yeah now. we got a big screen we can look at um, you but i just imagine you just huffing yeah well cream. i think now too like the thing that's uh, what's up, dude? Oh, what's up, dude? Yeah, what's up, dude? I got so happy to see myself. <laughs> I got, dude, but uh, I think that th- the thing too that's like popular now are people that like, like if you look at guys like Jim Jeffries or Bill uh, Burr or um, fucking even Louis C.K. It's like they're not like the shit they're most popular for is sort of ranting about shit that people already hate right in a in a with their and they already have like this sort of especially jeffries and and bill burr they have this sort of like built-in character and cadence that makes it funnier Mm -hmm. but it's not like comedically they're doing anything that's like revolution you know they're not contrarian takes i don't think people are like yeah they want to see their own opinion articulated better than they could basically yeah like you know jim jeffrey said that bit about guns where he's just talking about america and it's like if it was a if it was an american guy doing it it wouldn't be as fun but the fact that it's like a guy from australia talking about you know that's like the his bit that went that goes viral every time there's a shooting yeah do you know about yeah yeah yeah, i know exactly as well which I've heard him talk about too. That every time there's a fucking mass shooting, <laughs> he sells more tickets because he's people- like a gun manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but um, it's funny because he's like Australian. And it's like you you buy into it more. But there's also it's also just like you know, I mean, being a, a like a semi handsome 
white dude and having, you know, liberal white dude having that opinion in comedy right now isn't particularly fucking interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's not unique. No. It's well, not unique. Yeah. It's and it's just like everybody's just kind of like, eh, well, because well, it's it's exactly this. it's exactly like you said. It's people are looking for that specific thing that they that they think uh, that's what comedy is and that's the same for <laughs> Joe's vaping again uh, that's the same for like independent films I feel like in the you know early to mid 90s there was more of an independent film scene and like enough people were seeing like lower budget movies that you could make one that was a little bit different and that was like an interesting thing yeah. and now I think there's so few that every time someone makes like an art house movie everyone wants it to be like the King's Speech or, or that the Danish girl you know they want it to be like this real prestige yeah. looking like real arty like dram- dramatic thing and so and then everybody's like real bored of that because like you can only see that movie so many times but yeah with but real quick how did fucking brooklyn not win uh best i just watched that movie again <laughs> yeah how did that not win best picture that was the fucking best <laughs> I know, I, every I time know. i watch i cry, cry like six times yeah i watched i watched it again the other night and when it gets to the end where like her her uh husband is coming out of his job and she's like standing in the oh, yeah. fucking sunbeam Done. like reading that yeah it was like every single time uh, I'm like, yep, got me again, you fuckers. And that's an interesting movie in that every time I, I tell somebody to watch it, they go, they think it's going to be boring, but because it's every scene uh, th- th- is so quick, like the scenes are really quick in that movie. Mm-hmm. So it actually never gets boring. It's like, there's always like something new. There's never like any scenes that are really drought and boring. It's just like a bunch of it's like a ton of t- short scenes right it also doesn't it, it, it doesn't burn you out on any one emotion like, like you think about it and you think back to it and you're like oh man there's it was so just like sad and happy at the same time but there you know it, you go through being sad there's like mundane moments there's like small cute moments there's like big ideas there's like small ideas it's got you your brain never you get to you get to rest and you're not burned out on like yeah. one feeling the whole time. It's very diverse. And I feel and like, yeah, I enjoyed it actually much more the second time through because the first time through I had this like pit in my stomach where I thought somebody was going to die. I thought something horrible was going to happen. It was going to end up miserable and sad and not happy. And it kind of, it's like, you're so trained. Like it, movie filmmakers think that like having somebody die or having it be this terrible ending that somehow that is like unique or original or you know dramatic or whatever but it's actually so played out now that actually having a hollywood happy ending is original (laughs) and unique and you're like oh wow like they they're still together and they're in love they have a nice fucking life what yeah so I saw uh, The Light Between Oceans last week, which is by uh, the director who did Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines. And I think he's like the the perfect foil for Brooklyn because he's one yeah. of those directors where he's... And I think a lot of like art house directors, they're like, dramatic, 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 profound, profound, profound. Because you know, that's what people say they like about those movies. Right. Yeah. But if you watch like two hours of a guy trying to hit 
dramatic and profound and yearning like every two seconds it's fucking exhausting like you just can't take right. it and you just, and you like you're looking for any little piece of the story that doesn't track and you're like well now this is all bullshit because yeah. you're already like you hate the feeling yeah totally the place behind beyond the pines or whatever the beyond, between the whatever the fuck i was like the whole time i was just like oh god oh here it comes here it comes. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, this is going to be miserable. Everybody's going to be miserable. Even that Sadness movie. burgers, yum. Sometimes yeah, Blue, Blue Valentine was so great, but fuck, dude. By the end, you're just like, Jesus Christ. I loved that movie. I thought it was fantastic. I never watched it twice. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think when they go for that, they're hoping to have a lasting impact. But because you're so exhausted by the entire experience, by the time the movie was over, you're like, all right, fuck that. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Like, I'm going to go do something funny. I'll, like, put on sports and be like, oh, no, this is what real life is like, even though that's a distraction. Well, I also think, like, we'll see a movie like Brooklyn and we'll and we'll when we talk about it we'll be saying things like oh man it made me cry and oh it just like hit me like right in the pit, pit of my stomach and then someone else hears that and they want to make a movie that just does that for every single second of the movie yeah. but then <laughs> it's like to well, one up you yeah and you're like you no. ain't cried yet motherfucker <laughs> yeah but when someone you can feel someone trying to make you cry you kind of hate them yeah. yeah yeah and Brooklyn never does that yeah. It never. I mean, it, it it does make you cry, but it you it never crosses over into sappy, and you keep waiting for it to do that, and it never does. Because it's like that weird that. bittersweet, like kind of happy, like you're sad, but you're kind of happy. Like it's weirdly, yeah. it's not like tragic. It's just like that feeling. Has it? Has it? This is an interesting question. Has it? Have you ever seen a comedian who's able to make someone cry on stage? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. That'd be a pretty impressive. Fee- I mean, that's one where you better have an audience that fucks with you because yeah, yeah. that's not going to work at the Dude, there hut. was this. There was this one set uh, from this black comic. I can't remember his name, but he had been on the Tonight Show, and then he did this set where he was talking about. It was like a spoken word set where he was talking about um, how his like daughter died of leukemia or something the night he fucking went on the Tonight Show or whatever, and it's just horrible it's like the most horrific thing ever it's so sad and people were posting it like dude this is some of the best stand-up i've ever seen i go that's the worst stand-up it's like it's sad this is the worst stand-up like if somebody fucking did that i'd be like hey uh let's never go see that guy i mean it's not you know what i mean like i hear people do that as a joke where they're like some people do comedy i i call this therapy and i'm like check yeah (laughs) yeah i don't like that as an act but there are times where you go up on stage and you're in you know whatever mood and it's not like i'm necessarily going to go down that path but there are times when you have to switch it up because you won't be able to do your act well or otherwise people will sniff it's non-genuine bullshit Mm -hmm. you know and it feels good if they go with you yeah, it feels great. But if they don't, you have to do that pull out where you're like, well, I guess this was my TED talk. All right. So fucking nice guys. Let's do it. Joe, did you rewatch it today? Uh, I didn't. I just watched parts of it. I mean, you know what I was going to, you know what it made me think is like, I, I thought it was so great and it was so funny and it, there was, it, it was, it was really fun. Uh, but I think, think one of the things that makes movies like that like mysteries like that really good is the mystery is feels huge and you can't wait to find out like what the 
you know, what happened. But I think I've gotten a little bit spoiled with shows like True Detective and, you know, even like Making a Murderer where it's like the, the mystery gets drawn out for so long that it, you just feel so fucking invested in what the outcome is or finding out who did it. And it feels like this big thing. And now with like movies to have that in two hours, it's like, it doesn't capture that. Right. That's really, that's a really yeah. interesting. Point. Let me play a clip to contextualize yeah. this for the uh, listeners. You're a private investigator. My profession is very complicated. Okay. It's nuanced. That is a lot. Of, that's a lot of blood. You beat people up and charge money. Yeah, sad, isn't it? How much would you charge to beat up my friend Janice? What? How much you got? Twenty bucks. That's good. This conversation no is over. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Shane Black movie. It's got uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe beats people up for a living. Ryan Gosling is a private investigator. It's your classic buddy cop noir kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it. I enjoyed it. I was shocked to see. <laughs> I was shocked to see how highly rated it was on Rotten Tomatoes. I guess a lot of people, you know, went into it maybe with a little more background on the director and what yeah. they're getting into. I just kind of watched it because we were in like Sacramento doing a, a competition. We were stuck up there, so I went and watched it. And when I walked out, I was like been happy with about 30 minutes less of that and uh and i enjoyed it i thought the characters were fun but i think i'm almost spoiled by like believable villains and believable storylines mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit but yeah it was a fun it was a fun movie yeah i mean i think it's definitely like half callbacks to other shane black movies yeah you know it's got like uh the ju- I was just looking at my review because I tried to catalog all his little writing ticks. Like he's got the thing where um, someone's like jumping out of a window into a pool. Like he does that in in Lethal in Lethal uh, Weapon Two, I think. Um, the getting somebody getting thrown through a window. He's got like the fish tank thing where they were. You know, Mel Gibson shoots the fish tank. There's mm-hmm. another fish tank in this one. There's like the little kid who wants to go along with the adventure, which is all of uh, Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find it super believable either. I, I I felt like it was. I, I don't think it, I didn't really think it had a lot of cohesiveness between from scene to scene. It kind of just seemed like every scene was Shane Black kind of fucking around within the scene. Yeah, and it was also I mean like. A lot of it was these like double-edged things where it's like, oh, it was a fun mystery, but I didn't believe it. And oh, Ryan Gosling was this kind of good yet objectively horrible father <laughs> just yeah. bringing this child to solve mysteries mm-hmm. and, and get shot at with an Uzi. Like he was like Wiley e. Coyote. I mean, was yeah, he even supposed to be like a real? So I guess I just have a lower tolerance for that because I'm so into watching things where I'm kind of pulled along the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in I, my suspension of disbelief is, is not what it used to be unless I'm going into it like, well, this is going to be a goofy shit show. And then <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's do anything. But Gloves kinda, are off. I kind of feel like the whole, the first scene where the little kid's walking through his house and then the porn star crashes through his house. <laughs> Joe, what are you doing? Dog. Uh, 
And that was a weird anyway. Uh, and then she's like laying there naked <laughs> straight out of the magazine. And you, and you keep waiting for it to be like a dream sequence. Yeah. And then it's not. And you're like, well, okay, I can see what this movie is going to be like In now. In retrospect, that should have set the tone for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a it good did. point. Yeah. And I kind of think, um, I kind of think the, the aesthetic of this movie was, all right, we got Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe in, in a 70s party full of porn stars. You're already in. So now let's just have a, like, now let's do, like, this weird improvised, yeah, like, throw everything at the wall with, like, Three Stooges jokes. That It's almost like a Three Stooges movie. Yeah. It was fun. One review I read today that I thought was funny on Rotten Tomatoes was <laughs> someone said... This seems like it is the funniest movie of 1994, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, Shane Black's jokes always felt old, though. Like in '94, his his jokes felt like his shtick is like Borscht Belt comedian. Right, right, right. I thought Ryan Gosling, though, I was surprised at how funny he actually, like, good at comedy he is. Yeah, I agree. He's why fine. is that? Why did that surprise you? So I don't know because he just when you see him in interviews, he seems he seems like one of those guys that's kind of boring and not like actors that's not bo- that's kind of boring and not particularly funny. But he was funny. I think that funny comes from just committing a hundred percent. Yeah, that he always yeah. And I think that like the comedy too. It's like I think if they would have made it more when it has that, it always bugs me when comedies have that tone where it's like just kind of goofy and it's cartoony because I always feel like the funniest shit happens when it feels real. Right. You know, and this was like, it was weirdly, it was cartoony, but it wasn't like the characters were winking at you cartoony. Yeah. Like they were, they were playing the shit out of those characters, even though the characters were like Wile E. Coyote. Yeah. I mean, I was just I, in my brain. I was just thinking about the Coen Brothers movies and how they're able to like make it, you know, such a sort of charactery world, but it still feels like real. Yeah, and the comedy still works. I don't know, it's yeah. just maybe it's because everybody. It never. It never. That tone never like shifts. So it's like you buy into it the whole time. Whereas like a movie like this. It in one moment it feels realistic, the next moment it's like kind of goofy. And do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it did the same thing that so it pulls you out, and you're not like you haven't bought into the reality. It did the same thing for me that uh, True Detective season two kind of did, where like I would be into it, I would be into it legitimately, and then I'd be laughing at it. And like it would sw- it would keep switching, and then I would be kind of into the fact that it was switching back and forth between me believing it, and it would switch back and forth between laughing with it and laughing at it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you guys? Did you guys already talk about the night of at in ad nauseum? No, not really. Because uh, that to me was the fucking like where I'd be super into it, and then just like all of a sudden the dude smoking heroin and getting knuckle tattoos, and I'd be like, <laughs> "Give me the fuck out of here!" Like, yeah. I turned to my girlfriend so many times, like, dude, what the fuck? Like, that when that happened, when that dude, that show was so great. And then it was literally, I've never seen such a, a definitive jump the shark moment where it was just like, beyond this point, retarded shit is going to happen. It was like the minute Which, that guy got a knuckle tat. <laughs> oh, that was it for you? It, it, 
uh, beyond that, it was like every episode, I was just like, what the fuck is that? What is happening now? Like, what yeah. is this? And uh, all the fucking courtroom scenes, scenes just seemed so like, you're like, this is not, like, you can't just say whatever the fuck. Like, they'd be like, uh, did you fucking, uh, you raped her. And then you ran up the, and they'd be like, objection. And it'd be like, sustained. And you'd be like, you can't just keep saying <laughs> shit that's getting objected to. Yeah. To yeah. get it in the heads, you know, that, that becomes like an issue. And I don't know, just stuff like that. And then there was the whole thing. I guess they they, they had that line about the fact that he had a, a murder put on him so that he could be in a jail, the chalky white character. Mm-hmm. But the As sort to of, why he seemed like a lifer even though he was in a jail where people yeah, are. Yeah, and yeah. just the fact that like the, the they didn't differentiate between jail and prison. Like they made that jail basically a prison. Right. right. So I, It just whatever my theory on that show is that the acting was amazing and the direction was amazing and like yeah. that that sustained people for a while and but the entire way through the writing's pretty terrible so like but then it sustain it, so like the direction and the acting would sustain you like oh man this show's amazing and then it would have those moments where it'd go back to the fucking like eczema as metaphor thing oh, and you'd be like fucking, oh the- my god that so I was with you where, like, ridiculous shit kept ha- happening, like the knuckle tats, and I would and I would write it off, and then I would keep watching anyway. But then it got to the last episode, which was, like, two hours or an hour and a half or something. And in the middle of it, they went back to the eczema thing, and I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Like, oh, I, dude, can't, I can't do anywhere shit eczema. Was, it was just like, I'd, who the fuck thought I wanted to look at this guy's fucking gross feet? <laughs> For six hours of but, screen time. No, but it's it's symbolic. God, it was so fucking. It was that was so fucking annoying. Also, I gotta say, so I guess Gandolfini was supposed to play that role before he died. Play? You know oh, to play Turturro's role? How long? Yeah, Turturro's role, which is planned. why he's listed as a, a producer on oh, the show. Man. Turturro was like the best. I mean, other than the eczema, he was but, like the best part. Uh, even with Turturro, like I kind of towards the end, I felt like, man, a, a little Turturro goes a long way. Like he, <laughs> I see why he fucking just pops into movies and then pops out and isn't the lead. It was like by the end, I was like, dude, can we get somebody that can talk properly? <laughs> <laughs> I just I got so fucking over him. What? How did it end? Spoiler alert, I guess. Oh, you never watched it? Oh, I didn't know. Um, I, che- I literally checked out after the eczema thing. I was like, I'm down. I'm not finishing this. Nas gets out. They, they, it's like it's declared a mistrial because, or it's a hung jury. So then they go, they go, okay, to the the prosecution woman. And they go, do you want us to get another jury ready? And she goes, no. The 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 prosecution's going to drop the charges. They just decided to drop the charges. Mm-hmm. And so he goes free, and he's still smoking heroin, thinking about this girl. And then John Turturro. Does John Turturro get the cat, or the cat's dead? I can't remember. Fuck the cat. I can't remember if he goes back and the cat's already dead or something. I don't know. Whatever the fuck. That was the but, other annoying thing where they're like, I'm supposed to think this guy's a nice guy because oh, he, keep, cause he keeps hate. a cat locked in a room of his apartment, and that's supposed yeah. to be like that. That's supposed to be a softer side. He's keeping <laughs> Dude, like that a cat prisoner. Crazy. I was like, fuck just you, pet it. Yeah, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, that <laughs> made a, me so mad. Take a fucking allergy pill, you asshole. It was the fucking that that shit was the worst. What and about just, and then the thing? What about the part where she kisses Nas? So she's this straight laced lawyer. There's no. First of all, there's no character arc. Like, all of a sudden, she just makes out with Nas, and you have no fucking idea why this chick would 
ruin her career to make out with this fucking college kid who by the way has now undergone a complete change and is now like some hard ass fucking gangster dude that's <laughs> after he's been in there for like six weeks right <laughs> i didn't mind a- i thought that was kind of set up i didn't mind that I, I, I might, I, the, the reason it bothered me is cause I go, you know, it, to me, it's a much more interesting story. If you have the meek, nerdy, uh, Muslim kid interacting with the chalky white character, rather than just now you just have another prison inmate, hard ass guy. Yeah. Like it, it just to have to see prison through that guy's eyes and see how terrifying it, it is. That is compelling to me but to have him just all of a sudden be this fucking hard-ass prison dude well now you're not like worried about him anymore. he also I, I don't he, know. he went from like comically inept to comically hard-ass because they, they also yeah. did this thing that movies do sometimes that i always hate is when like the guy's in over his head and 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 they're like how do you plead and he's like i didn't do it and the judge is like, no, <laughs> yeah. guilty or not guilty. No, but I didn't, As I if didn't, he wasn't I didn't expecting do it, this though. moment. It's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> everybody's seen a TV show. You know the play is guilty or not guilty. Like, fucking, this guy's going to college and he doesn't know that you have to say not guilty. I wish and Aaron the, Hernandez had done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then also, he, when he's getting cross-examined and then all of a sudden she, she, the prosecution goes, did you kill her? And he goes, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. You know what? <laughs> Fuck everybody. Yeah. And then the prosecution, and then the, and then the, the defense attorney, the woman starts crying. And then an episode later, John Turturro is giving the fucking closing arguments and he starts crying and you're like, nobody cries in fucking court. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why is everybody crying? This is driving me fucking nuts. It's like them telling you, did you see how good our writing is on the show? Like, everybody's yeah. crying. It's so touching. And they were just like, dude, Totoro, just fucking go for it, bro. You know? <laughs> what about, uh, what was it about the nice guys that made you think that? Think of this. Oh, about uh, the night. Well, uh, I, I actually don't remember. Is it, is it just because... Maybe this is a show where they're expecting you to believe anything. And well, nothing's well, actually, believable. the night of was a, was another show where it was like I was in it because I wanted to find out who the killer was, and then when you find out the killer is the fucking accountant guy, it would just felt so anticlimactic and so fucking not like it was not interesting. You're just mm. like, uh, dude, what? Like the that uh, yeah. fucking. I, I think that huh? show really relied on you wanting to know who the killer was whereas i think the nice guys like i feel like it was more like uh the big lebowski where it's less good if you're trying to find the answer to it because there yeah. is no answer it's like a wild goose chase you know yeah it's kind of it like fe- what's gonna happen to these guys i like <laughs> yeah you know yeah and it felt like the action sometimes i feel like too uh w- especially with it, like the nice guys they have this they end on like a 30 minute action sequence and I'm actually where there's not really that much funny shit happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually a point in my life where I get, I tend to get bored in action. Like it just, I, I, unless there's something completely innovative and really amazing happening, I sort of tend to tune out. Like I just, I don't fucking care. It's kind of, I've seen it a million times and I almost don't like it at all. And I don't know if that's the year that we live in or if it's at that age where it's like you go from, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, Oh, let's play games. And then you finally realize that conversation and like finding (laughs) out what these people are thinking and feeling is just more interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I I wanted to think it's because 
we're all just burned out on action sequences. Maybe it is yeah. because I'm getting older, but I don't know. Because I, I, I thought the same thing on well, Game Fast of- and Furious 9 is coming. <laughs> <laughs> See, but those action that. sequences are so ridiculous that they're hilarious, and it's more about the ridiculousness of it than yeah. me caring and about the care action. you so little about the yeah. actor's characters that you're like, fuck, I it's don't more care, of a, Vin. It's like a sight gag. It's like slapstick. You yeah. Know? yeah. Fucking yeah. him hanging from the spoiler over the cliff. That's so amazing. Yeah. I agree. Or they, when they jump the car from building to building. <laughs> yeah. What like, was the I last was like, one you saw? Fuck yeah. The, like, you saw the most recent Seven, one. yeah. And that was by far the best, to, in my was opinion. It? Yeah, absolutely. Like, not even close. Um, Dude, I remember, I remember seeing too fast too furious with like <laughs> ludicrous act a fool and literally going home to my house and just putting that record on repeat and like looking i was just was way before i could drive and i would just look up cars online and like try and figure out how much it would cost me to put neon glow on my mom's navigator <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's fucking amazing no but the, the action thing i was thinking about this in the last uh ser- the last season of game of thrones Whenever there'd be like a big action sequence, and and the next day on the internet, everybody'd be like, "Wasn't that badass, dude? Those." Co-? And I was like, "No, well, see, I kind of like I liked Game of Thrones at the beginning when there would be a big climactic battle, and then they just wouldn't show any of it. It'd just be like, oh yeah, they they won, and then like they'd show the stuff that happened. Yeah, and Rome used to do that too, and I love that. And the violence has weight, you know, where it's like you don't want like to me get a Game of Thrones action sequence worked even though it was derivative of like you know six different fucking movies or whatever i it still worked because i'm so invested in those characters uh and 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 the violence to a certain degree feels like real like you go oh fuck that guy's dead fuck fuck you know (laughs) where in most action movies it's like i mean one of the worst things that they keep doing now is they don't have villains that you're invested on in. like the, the, these Marvel movies where the villain is just some computer fucking clones or some alien <laughs> yeah. drone force that you don't give a. F- I, I could give a fuck about watching those things die. Cause I don't, they're not interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I they're not p- actual fucking people like that suicide squad movie. It was like, why isn't the Joker the bad guy? <laughs> I'm glad. What the fuck is this? I'm glad that they gave him the as little screen time as possible. I think that was a good decision. I mean, I I've been saying for I when people thought Jared Leto did a good job in the fucking whatever AIDS movie, I can't remember the name of it. It drove me crazy. I mean, it was like it made me physically nauseous because <laughs> I hated it so much. It was just like, dude, anybody could. He did the quintessential like if you just told any actor to dress and pretend to be a transvestite you could go into any of these acting schools i'm looking at in los angeles right now and and pull a fucking dude out and tell him to pretend to be a transvestite with aids yeah and they would do exactly what fucking jared Leto did yeah it was the thing it's always that kind of performance that the the which is insane like the academy you'd think it's, it's supposed to be made up of other actors but for some reason they're all impressed by the easiest yeah. stuff like but pretending not, to be but not the guy showing you how to deal with a black guy if you're a cop <laughs> <laughs> dude i can't even remember something it was like it was like uh tell me why you're scared i'm scared because every time we get out and i go well i get that i'm scared too every time i pull someone over i never know what's what's gonna happen 
But, <laughs> and you're just like, dude, and you've got to do that. I mean, sometimes I walk out of these auditions and I go, man, I'm a fucking bad actor. I'm the worst actor ever. <laughs> and then it was like I did one for like sports clips or some shit where it was like, um, by the way, I'm totally like never supposed to talk about any of this stuff. But fucking, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Uh, it was like for sports clips where it was like I get a fucking <laughs> – I'm like sitting in the fucking chair, like my butcher's chair, and they go, and I I get a fucking text, and it's like, oh hey, my wife just got her sonogram. It's a girl. I'm having a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm going, what the fuck is this guy that, honey? I gotta go to sports clips. I can't do the sonogram. I gotta go to sports clips. <laughs> going high it's and tight. And, and, or fucking, yeah, like, or just, she went to the sonogram. It's, is it even my baby? Like, why the fuck would she want me there? And then it was just so fucking retarded. And the whole process is then I bring back my daughter, like, two years later, and she goes, oh, it's the little princess. And it's the same person at sports clips. Nobody works at sports clips for more than six weeks. Yeah. If you work at sports clips for longer than six weeks, you fucking are, are gonna kill yourself. I've it's been like the cutting hair as a yourself. referee for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> you can't question your motivation in that. But then, but yeah. So then I go out of that audition. I go, man, I, I just can't. I just couldn't sell it. I couldn't make it good. And then my girlfriend's like, dude, well, like that's just the writing because nobody would ever. You can't. You in your mind, you can't sell that. Because you go, I I never would be in this position where I go, well, if I was in a butcher's chair or butcher's chair, a fucking barber's chair, and I get my sonogram, how would I feel? And you just go, well, I can't. I would never. Why would that happen? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like if I was a... if I was a really empathetic cop who opened every single pullover with, why are you scared? And also... <laughs> it's not yeah. a thing that happens. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to end that audition just as a joke, just be where he goes, I want you to remember this conversation in the future when you're dealing with other uh, s citizens that you're pulling over. And I go, show me your hands. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. They would have loved uh, that. They, right, I, I did, could... did want to. What, what were you going to say? I could tell that they were fuck. Most of the time, like you go in for shit where they the and the and the people, the casting director, they know it's cheesy. They go, look, you, you know, it's this, it's this. So just hit this beat, do this. You're you're sad, but then you're kind of excited. This happened, you know. But these guys were like, look, man, we're really trying to. I mean, they were trying to sell. It, and it was just <laughs> fucking. I I knew I couldn't make a joke. <laughs> Uh, all right, before we go, I wanted to discuss probably the, the defining news story of our times right now, I think. Uh, do you remember the the girls who sang the Trump song? Like at his... Yeah. The really weird, like, sparkle motion dance troupe. It's about a hundred yeah. Trump Donald stories Trump. ago. <laughs> He's our man. <laughs> yeah. He's the one. He can do it. And no one can. Yeah. Donald Trump. Uh, so here, this is from the Daily Beast. USA Freedom Girls sue Trump campaign for stiffing them. <laughs> nice. The pre That's quite a headline. It, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> the preteen dance troupe that briefly became a national sensation after they performed for Donald Trump are suing the self-proclaimed billionaire's presidential campaign for stiffing them. 
The USA Freedom Kids went viral after performing at Trump's January 13th rally in Pensacola, Florida. Dressed in bedazzled American flag costumes, the three preteen girls performed Freedom's Call, an upbeat reimagining of a World War I propaganda song. Cowardice, are you serious? Apologies for freedom, I can't handle this, the song begins. <coughs> the USA Freedom Kids said in a newly filed lawsuit that the Trump campaign broke verbal agreements for performances at two events and refused to pay even a $2,500 stipend for the group's <laughs> travel expenses. Uh... We are not able to pay the girls or cover travel, Stephanie Scruggs, a regional field director, wrote Jeff Popick, USA Freedom Kids founder and father to one of the girls, in a January 5th email presented as evidence in the suit. First of all, like... I can't, I can't, bl- I can't blame I mean, anyone that wants a stiff preteens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. But can, can you imagine being a dad and, like, putting your daughter up to this in the first place? Like, just... Just yeah. even start there. Like that's right. It's a great lesson in politics and then, for a young and child then just being, to learn though. Where's my fucking money? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, obviously you do it for money. So already we're starting off with like the one of the most cynical things you could possibly do is is getting your daughter to dress up in like a freedom costume and talk about Donald Trump. So that's like where where we're starting. Is it worse if he did it for money or, or for love? I mean I think it's worse. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, it is. I think he definitely did it for money, though, so it's kind of moot. For sure. Uh, uh, anyway. However, we have coordinated with the event space to allow the girls to set up a table and sell their album, shirts, etc. if this is helpful to you. Pause. They have an album? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a fucking album. <laughs> so basically, they couldn't... Uh, like, this guy emailed the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign's like, no, we can't pay you anything, but you can sell merch. Popic agreed, reasoning that the group would net more than 2500 in merchandise sales. But the rally was chaos, Popic told the Daily Beast. There was no merchandise table, and it wouldn't have mattered if there was one. Security didn't allow the girls to bring any of their merchandise into the Pensacola Bay Center. They left it outside in the parking lot, where all of it, the t-shirts, the CDs, the patriotic posters, was stolen while the girls performed their act. <laughs> so this is like before the shit went viral is while the thing that made them a viral sensation was going on, Donald Trump's supporters were stealing the shit out of their car. (laughs) Where is all this merch? Yeah, exactly, dude. I bet it's twice as valuable now. Or just even the T... I just want a T-shirt. Right. So then... So then they're like... they're, They're still negotiating for the campaign. And the campaign... Uh, they say they're not going to pay him again, but they're like, well, if you fly to Iowa from Florida, you get to perform at the event. Then they got there and they're like, oh no, you can't perform there either. Wait, they, oh, went, all the, they went all the way to Iowa after saying they could barely make it. And then they did. And then they're like, yeah, never mind. It was a long overnight odyssey. They were exhausted, <laughs> but excited to perform. He said, we flew nonstop to Chicago and then had to drive another five and a half hours to Des Moines. It wasn't until after we were already in the vehicle, about an hour or two into it, that we had to break the news to the girls. The Trump campaign said they'd save seats for the scorned performers on the condition that none of the girls spoke to the media. Even this proved difficult, (laughs) as the girls were still wearing their impossible-to-miss sequined flag dresses, and the Trump campaign had placed their reserved seats directly next to the media enclosure. The gag order came as a final injury to the group, who, barred from selling merchandise or performing, had at least counted on getting some exposure from the rally. 
Instead, they were going home with no booking of with no hint of booking future rallies. Like everything about that is pretty perfect. Yeah, I think ultimately what it is is just how shitty of an organization this man runs. Like Trump University, all these things, I don't even know that it goes all the way up to him being a direct asshole. He just runs inept organizations, which is kind yeah. of a problem if you're thinking about, you know, like a fucking country. But it's also what? it's also just this rusting Russian nesting doll of terrible cynical fame whoredom right. like the guy the dad in the first place who created this group he's fucking terrible he emailed the campaign who's also fucking terrible they're like we're right. not going to pay you even though you clearly did this just to get paid but we'll let you get exposure so that they show up and then everybody in the crowd is also terrible and they steal the people's shit beautiful and then it says they spent nine months haggling with them and eventually had to sue them yeah and they're suing for 15 grand, which is like actually a good move because it, it says, hey, we're not greedy. We just want you to get we just want to get paid back for, uh, you know, flying all over the country. <laughs> Joe can't believe he's taking a long drag on his vape pen. <laughs> yeah, he's just shaking his head. It's great. <laughs> it's just so fucking I, I just don't understand. I literally. People want to believe that this guy is great so much that they're willing to just overlook all this fucking misery this, that comes out. You know what I mean? It's, it's been just a great, so crazy. It's been a great theme of this podcast, whether we were talking about the nice guys or, or that show you guys were talking about, where it's like a lot of this stuff is just not believable. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, like who's watching this and yeah. being like, yeah, I totally get it. It's the same people. <laughs> Right, but I don't think not this the is, nice guys as but, much. But like, I don't even think, I don't even think we are expecting realism anymore. Like the, I don't think people know what that is. Right, like I don't think people put two and two together and and go, hey, my day to day life is the same as Donald Trump's day to day life, or like that that or what is on the television that they literally think that it's. You know, there's some magical place in the world where shit is just fucking crazy. <laughs> and they're desperately trying to, like, get in that world. You know, whether it's fucking, I don't even know, in the fucking club bottle service or whatever the <laughs> fuck. They think some magical world is going to transport them into, like, everything's fucking dope and sick. And, I, think, I, I think dumb people discovered irony and they just, like supped of the irony goblet and it just fucking ruined them forever like, like now if like the talking points are uh hillary clinton like coughing too much <laughs> like yeah like what and there's plenty of things that she's terrible at that you could attack her legitimately for but it's like oh it's no man too much to chew bitch is coughing i don't know yeah. dude i don't know who knows what that means and then my friend mike pointed out he's like uh the, the 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 hashtag was like sicklery and he's like dude illery was right there all you had to do is remove a letter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well this is i mean the thing with social media is i feel like when tv used to be that you just had channels a lot of people would watch shitty shows because you're like well it's what's on <laughs> yeah. but there's a lot of times where i'll go on my phone and i'll open up facebook and i'll see some dumb article 
that one of my friends wrote a dumb thing about and I'll click it just because it's on. And then next yeah. thing I know, I've contributed to a sicklery algorithm. Yeah. And we all know it's happening, but it's just what's on because what's on is a lot of the dumbest people you know who feel the most obliged to contribute. Yeah. I, I also feel like people are so fucking bored with their fucking lives and then they watch like, you know, like a like glory or some fucking movie and they go i want to be part of a revolution like every every political point (laughs) is revolution and we want revolution you go no that's not what you want we don't want fucking revolution we just (laughs) want people that can come together figure out you know they this guy gets this (laughs) this guy gets this and then they move the fucking ball down the road and then they keep doing you know what i mean like it just sounds a lot better than we want competent management we yeah, want exactly. competent, yeah. clear-headed administration. <laughs> they want, they want like excitement. They don't want calm. It's like, no, no, no. You want the government to be like this fucking. You okay? The government's handling shit. It's we don't have to worry about that. Not fucking. Let's fucking redo it. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone, everyone is calling for that. It's like you know who's having a revolution? Syria. That doesn't look that fun. Yeah, exactly. That's what a the, revolution looks dude, like, dude. The, the, the absolute worst fucking thing that makes me want to like somebody to just fucking cram a ice pick into my cerebellum is when people go, I don't know, maybe Donald Trump is so fucking crazy that he just tears the whole thing down and we start again. And you go, oh, that's our worst fucking idea. Let's just explode the United States government and then fucking rebuild one for 300 million people even though we can't get the one that we have in place to fucking work. That's basically hoping for you getting that one chimp amongst infinity that just typed <laughs> all of Shakespeare's works. Yeah, That's what you're hoping for. Yeah, it's like it's nice watching him throw shit on like the asshole in the white suit, but that's not he just throws shit around. Like we, we can't control who's gonna throw shit at. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Vince before I've been I was listening to this uh book on tape, it was like US history and they're talking about the constitution and how the founding fathers, you know, they, they it, it just seemed inconceivable to let Indians, blacks, women and poor whites vote. And I was like, okay, okay. But maybe we don't let the poor whites vote still. Everybody else, <laughs> but maybe still not the poor whites. Doesn't that technically include you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's a ton of landowners in this conversation. <laughs> but, but I'm still on board. But still. I, mean, I don't yeah. need to vote. <laughs> You'll take it for the team if you don't get it. 100%. You... <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's a, that's real big of you. I'm willing to step out if it means that the fucking poor, the whites and fucking that are like doing that. We were talking about this, like when you see like white people hiling Hitler, and somehow they think that's like a na- sign of national pride, and you go, whoa, wait, 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 that's not American. Like Hitler <laughs> yeah. wasn't Amer- like they think Hitler was this fucking super American dude. Or <laughs> yeah, they were literally our enemy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a couple. We got. I got to go, because I got to fly to Toronto. But I got a couple of emails I wanted to read. Uh, Frotsman, I don't know where else to go with this. I have a lurker Twitter account, and when I looked at my notifications the other day, I had a new follower called Big Dick Pierre. <laughs> Big Dick Pierre is a Frenchman living in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's not some language barrier thing because most of his tweets are inspirational quotes or boasts about his big dick. Can you imagine being some French guy in a shitty Sunbelt suburb and being like, yeah, I'm Big Dick Pierre, what of it? 
Big Dick Pierre is the best, right? Fraud on CH. <laughs> I did have a, my girlfriend used to live in France, and she did confirm to me that French dudes do, on average, have bigger dicks than American dudes. Oh, that's cool. Really? We got, yeah. We got another sex email. Um, She's dead. No. <laughs> so I live in a little surf town and I enjoy the company of hippie girls quite a bit. I had been going out with one for a couple of weeks when she informed me that she was going to a renowned crystal and sage dealer in a nearby town. Oh, God. She was strangely vague about what she was looking for, but when she came back, she had a little black velvet pouch and out of it, she very reverently pulled a smooth oval obsidian. Then she explained to me that it can consume negative sexual en- energy in the body. How does it do that, you might ask? Well, apparently, you put it in your pussy. <laughs> For days. Quick aside. I just want a big black rock in my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, no sex for a couple days. You know, because of the crystal in her vagina. This is all very eye-rolly, but holy shit, was it worth it. The first day after that crystal came out, it was like having sex with a starving leopard or some shit. She basically fucked me until I was a puddle on the floor. So I guess the moral of the story is, crystals are good? Fraud on. <laughs> Yeah. I think I think crazy chicks are good. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I just go like I, when I was a single dude. Like I would just go along with whatever fucking crazy shit chicks were into. I'd be like, oh, dude, fuck yeah, dude, obsidian, put that on your pussy. God, I believe in you. And I remember I had one friend. He told me that he was hooking up with this chick, but he was like, I mean, this girl was fucking gorgeous. I mean, she was amazing looking. And he was going to break up with her because she wanted to do this thing where she took some of that, where he came in her belly button and then took, and then he also dripped blood into the cum that was in her belly button. And he's like, I'm not fucking doing that. I was like, dude, Howard, call me, bro. I'll fucking do that in a heartbeat. Like whatever. This chick sounds amazing. And those chicks are always fantastic in bed. They're never like, like I will give it up to hippie girls. Like hippie girls are great. Because they just let it rip. Yeah, so hi- hippie my, girls are awesome. <laughs> you just don't want to be building a life with one and having no. real conversations. She's like, I don't have my rock right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few things about that email. One, the title was Crystal Pussy Corner, yeah, which, yeah. which was pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, it's a play on Crystal Corner. I know. You know I, I, I see where he's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I it, was, it was good. But I just, I love how nowhere did it ever enter her mind that maybe what really helped your sexual desire is doing nothing for two whole days. (laughs) Like, if you don't fuck for two days, and then you fuck that person you've been hanging out with and wanting to fuck for two days, you will not have any negative sexual energy left in your body. Dude, I'm a firm believer in not having sex every day and waiting till you're both fucking super crazy horny. The sex is always better. Otherwise, you get into this... When you start having... Sex every day. Eventually, it goes from fucking wild sex into like the roll over pump, and then come (laughs) pass out sex, where it's just like it just becomes lame. You say that like it's a bad thing. I know dudes are fucking, but I like it where it's just like, give me that. I want to feel like a starving man, and you put the cheeseburger in front of me. I'm just like, give me that pussy. Yeah, if you if you just gotta you gotta find a way to tap into the primate. That's that's yeah. what's gonna do it for you. Tap tap that primate. All yeah. right, I gotta get the hell out of here. Uh, you guys, Joe Sinclitico, Joey Avery, thanks for coming on. You guys got anything to plug? Joey, nice to meet you, bro. Yeah, nice to meet you. A couple of a couple of Joes hanging out. Yeah. 
Yeah, never met a Joe I didn't like. Pretty much across the board, Joes are cool. Film drunk, film drunk Joe, Joe Biden. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's a nice guy. We should have him on next week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you guys got any uh, plugs? Yeah, I uh, at Joey Avery on Instagram at Joey Avery Comedy. Still, still working on that mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, if any of you are in Budapest or London, hit me up. Uh, otherwise, if you're in SF, do the same. And I'm I'm Joe at Joe Sigley on Instagram and on Snapchat I'm like at Joe, then that the unicorn emoji Sinclair to go. Cool. Oh, you you want to be jealous of my my snap is the Joe Zone layer. Oh, oh that is pretty really good. good. Yeah, thank you. That's All really, right. Really good. Uh, well, uh, Patreon.com/slash/frogcast if you want to donate. Um, frogcast at gmail.com. 415-275-0030 is the Google Voice. Love your donations. We're not quite up to the uh, not quite up to the, the, the ad free zone, but we'll get there. Um, anyway, from our podcast to yours, we apologize. Joe. Yeah. Thanks. Later, brother. Okay. Bye. Bye. I gotta get my girlfriend these cupcakes. Cool. <laughs> All right. Later. Later, brother.